Acts 9, 1 through 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone on him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. The word of the Lord. So, um, that's a little high. I am the third bald, tall guy. Uh, So, I apologize for that. Um, so, you know, in, in our family, one of the special times we have is uh, game night. Because in our family, game night means competition. And there's plenty of it to be had. How many, raise your hand if you're a competitive person. Okay, yeah. You're, you're all with me. And so a word that we throw around to one another when we play games is ruthless. And I've been accused a time or two of being ruthless, have I not? I think I'm not the only one in the family when it comes to, well, in your turn, you tend to be ruthless towards us. So, um, but no, we are, we are quite competitive when we play games. Um, I don't have a lot of skills and abilities in life, so it's probably one of the, the few places I can be competitive and actually um, enjoy any kind of success, so Samuel, you go down every time, right? <laughs> um, you know, the, the flip side to that, and, and you know, that's kind of the fun side of competition, um, but some of us are competitive in other aspects of life, and the flip side of competition and com- a competitive nature ten- tends to be performance, um, and, and we in a lot of ways, we live in a performance culture. Um, Northern Virginia probably is worse than other areas in our in our general society as far as performance goes. Um, we go after things, sometimes competitive with others, and sometimes we just want to perform well. We want to get somewhere with what we've accomplished, and so we go after you know, can I get to the better school? Can I get my kids to the better school? Can I get to the better college? Can I, um, can I build my resume? Can I get that right security clearance? Can I, um, get that better house? Can, you know, we, we go and strive after all kinds of things. Now, another angle to it to consider, for some of us, we would love it if we lived in a meritocracy. If it was about what we accomplished, then we'd be happy. Because we say, well, I can, I can do some things. I work hard. I've accomplished some things. 
We love it. But so for others of us, and really if we all dig down and look behind the surface, that probably none of us would want to live in a true meritocracy where it's all about what we can accomplish because we've got our own sin to deal with. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, we really fail and we fall. And there's also a lot of social ills. See, for some of us, we succeed because we have opportunity. Not everybody has those same opportunities. So if we start to talk about merit, we might really get into some weeds. It might become an issue for us. Um, the, the idea of merit is only good if we're the ones that can achieve it and we can kind of show our wonderful resume. So I don't know if you can see this, if you can read that. Um, can you read that in the back? Um, you know, just kind of a, this idea of merit is is good for some and for others. Well, it's just something you can you can buy because we we can't always achieve it. Um, Paul, I'm going to turn to Paul because when we read earlier, um, it was it was really Paul's. We understand that passage in Acts nine to be Paul's point of conversion where he meets Jesus. Actually, Jesus approaches him and meets him in a very dramatic fashion. And and he encounters Jesus in a way that changes him. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But something that Paul really held tightly prior to that moment in his life was his own merit. That's, that's what he held tightly, was what he was and had accomplished. He held so firmly to that. Um, and in fact... In Philippians 3-4, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh and who they are and what they've accomplished, I have more. So he, he says, listen, if, if you think you've done it, if you think you're the one that can be confident in who you are, I probably have a whole lot more than you going for me in that regard. So Paul, who, who was born in, in a... Um, a Roman city of Tarsus, and he was, he was uh, born of Jewish descent. He was a free Roman citizen. And he presents, if you look further in Philippians chapter 3, he presents what would be considered his resume. If it were off of merit, this is what Paul could present. Circumcised on the eighth day. So from, from the beginning of his life, he has followed the law that he was taught perfectly. Citizen of Israel. He was part of the chosen people of God. Tribe of Benjamin. Considered the most faithful of all the tribes of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews. One of the aspects of what he's trying to get at there is both of his parents were of Jewish descent. There wasn't one parent that was a Gentile. And so he was, he was through and through Part of God's chosen people. And, and the bloodline showed it. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. There was a lot of zeal in, in what he went after with this Pharisaical law. The, the, the law that he understood and was taught, he hit that well. And he understood that. Um, he, he persecuted the church. He was zealous in that way. He was, he was passionate to go after the church. 
as far as righteousness, he, he was blameless as far as following the law. So he presented his merit. And he said, this is what I believed that I had true merit and I could trust in. But he encounters Jesus. As we read earlier in Acts 9. And Jesus changed him. And Philippians 3, um, if you're there in your Bible, starting in verse 7, he starts to explain what was changed in his life as a result of that encounter. Because his life went through a paradigm shift. But whatever I, but whatever gain I had, all those things he, he listed out prior, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paradigm shift for Paul. Because he really did, that, that resume that we've looked at, he really did trust in that. That was his life. That's what he depended on. And when he met Jesus, he encountered Jesus, all that he ended up considering garbage. Not worth anything. Because now I know Jesus. And now I recognize that that is not what it's about. So, in John uh, chapter 17, verse 3, it says, there is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. Knowing Jesus isn't just the path for eternal life, the path to spend forever with God, knowing Jesus is life. It is eternal life to know Him. John 10.10 says to know Him is, is to, to live the life to the full, the abundant life, some translations call it. That's knowing Jesus. So eternal life is not just a sense of, well, when I die, what's going to happen Eternal life is now. It's life to the full now and knowing Him. It's because Paul, when we saw in Acts 9 and, and he speaks of in Philippians 3, it wasn't just an encounter. It wasn't just, yeah, I met somebody one time. He knew Jesus because Jesus revealed Himself to him in a very relational way. Now, it was a, it was a profound, dramatic way that he did it with Paul. He doesn't always do that with all of us. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but drastically changed who, who Paul was. So if you look, look back at verse 10, Paul said that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So to know Jesus, we will experience the power of the resurrection. We'll experience His power in our life. And it's a transforming power. Transforming us. We also, Paul says, will know His sufferings. 
So to know Jesus is not just everything goes perfectly. Everything goes smoothly in our lives. There will be suffering. Because Jesus himself suffered. And Paul talks about that's a, that's a fellowship with him. And then death. Death to our own selves. Death to ourselves is part of that relationship with him. See, Paul thought his merit was everything, but it ended up being a paradigm shift for him, and what he loved and valued became nothing. His status, his power, his zeal, what he considered righteousness under the law was worthless. And he said, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So I want us to self-reflect for a minute. And I, and I, every time I get a chance to, to do these things called sermons, um, I, I'm going to press us in that way because I believe that's, these are the moments where God really speaks to us. If we, if we pause long enough to consider, what do I value in my life? In life? What do I value? And consider that. What do you value? And does anything supersede Christ and knowing Him. Now I would suggest for all of us, um, there is probably some things that, that God could highlight to us. That there are times where, um, yeah, Jesus, I, I love knowing You, and You're so dear to me, and I trust You, but in this area of my life, I just, I just love it. I mean, I, I've got I've to keep going that direction. It, it's a refining thing. And so for Paul, it was dramatic. His change, his transformation, the paradigm shift he went through was pretty quick. But for most of us, it, it's gradual transformation. It's gradual. Um, and at, one of the key elements to that relationship where he changes us is trust on our part. But it's trust and obedience. It's, it's actionable faith. James understood that uh, Faith without works is dead. He's saying that faith is actionable. And so I was thinking, well, what, what can I uh, think of when I, where I see trust on display? And so um, I think all three of, of our kids really trust Becky and I in, in many ways. Well, right now, Silas, our youngest, as a two-year-old, shows that action of trust almost without thinking. You know, if he gets stuck, for example, if he gets stuck up on a big apparatus on the playground, he wants one of us to come over and he'll just jump off into our arms. He doesn't care. He's trusting and he's going to show it by, I'm just going to jump off. So there, there's really not a hesitation there. And I, I really think that the relationship we have with Christ, trust is one of the key elements. He changes us. But there's areas in our lives that we have to trust. God, would you change that? Because I recognize I'm, I might be valuing that a little, a little bit too much. I might value that over, over you and being in your presence. Yesterday, for me, yesterday marked 27 years being a believer in Christ. I trusted Christ. I was a junior in high school. Um, that, I know that just dated me. Um, but 27 years ago, it was April 22nd, 1990. Uh, and I can tell you, that it, it's, 
Some of it was immediate. Some of my, the change that, that God did in me. And some of it has taken a long time. And I'm still a mess. I really am. There's areas that I'm not trusting Him. But I do recognize that He has been faithful and continues to be faithful. And He has changed me. I am a different person now than I was 27 years ago. Certainly as I was 28 years ago and beyond. Very different person. Um, but I also recognize that He is not finished with me. <clears throat> he promises um, in Philippians 1, earlier in that, in that uh, book, He says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's not done changing us. But where does He change us? How does He change us? So the next ten weeks, today being week one, we're going to look at the theme that should be pretty familiar with us. We're going to look at knowing Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. That's going to be the overarching theme for these next ten weeks. Um, And um, what we need to look at is what does He intend to change in our lives? What is it? that He intends to change. Now, it's going to be different for all of us in this room. Absolutely will be different. I wanted to show this. This is actually coming out of um, psychology. But it just kind of shows different aspects of, of who we are as humans uh, You know, that creates what they would consider the self. You know, We're emotional, we're physical, we're social, we're, there's environmental factors, we're spiritual, the, the mental, the thinking part. Um, it does represent a sense of how God has created people. Different aspects of who we are. What I would contend, and this is something for, I would love for you guys to pray towards for yourselves and, and, and for, for others. The change that Jesus intends to make in us is holistic. It's complete. And so some of those areas we recognize, and in fact, if you look at the green area, we talk a lot about in church. We talk a lot about spiritual change, spiritual development, um, discipleship. But what I would contend, and I believe what Scripture is talking about with change and transformation, is all of those other areas as well. And some of those areas we don't want to touch. We don't want to even acknowledge they exist but we are desperate for change in these areas. And Jesus can change us in those areas. Absolutely. Knowing Him, He can and He will change us. But we have to acknowledge and say, God, you you might need to work on me in one of these areas. We might need to lean into with some intentionality and say, God, would you change me in this area? I recognize it. You're showing it to me. Would you intentionally lean in and say, God, change me in this area? So those are some areas that we're going to look at. Um, what I'm going to look at over the next few weeks, and then we'll have some others share in different ways, I'm going to look at some broad categories. We're going to look at how God changes what I would call the head, our thinking. How God changes the heart. What we Not, not just what we feel, but, but our outpouring of compassion towards people and what might that look like. And then God changes our hands changes um, what we do, our actions, our behaviors, 
he can uh, refine and develop skills in us and the capacity to, to serve other people. So the categories I'm going to look at in the next three weeks will be God transforms the head, the heart, and the hands. And then we're going to go after that. Um, everybody's going to who's going to be sharing a sermon is going to kind of answer this, so to speak, question or fill in this statement. Knowing Jesus changes. There you go. There you go. Um, but each person who who kind of shares with us on a Sunday morning is going to specifically focus on one thing and fill that blank in. So we do recognize that knowing Jesus changes everything. But we're going to take a look at that. How are we changed? Let me let me end with it with some scripture. If you don't mind, let me read some scripture to you. If you are a note taker, you can jot these down. Um, look them up later. Um, many of them are are quite familiar to to you. First, the reality of our transformation in knowing Jesus is that He makes us a new creation. And everything I'm going to share with you is from Paul's teaching in particular. So when Tori read Acts 9 earlier, we saw somebody who went from from really going after the church in such a horrible way to one of the main teachers for us today on what it means to know Jesus. So all of these are are from Paul's teaching. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6, 6 and 7 talks about we are free from sin in Christ. If we know Him, we're freed from our sin. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We are free from the bondage of sin if we know Jesus. Transforming power, the work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He transforms us from within. I think Tori prayed that or talked about that earlier. Um, it's, it's inward transformation expressed outwardly, the actionable faith. But it's, it's the interiority of the person that God transforms through His Spirit. And then what context for change? I've shared this. This is a heartbeat of mine. I know I've shared with some of you. I believe change, God has designed change in us to occur in intentional relationships. That's the context that He changes us. Again, this is all Paul. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be imitators of Me as I am of Christ. Philippians 4.9 What you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Titus 2.1 But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul is reflecting that, that he is close enough in proximity to people that they would be able to see him modeling and that they would be able to respond. They would be able to hear him or read his teaching and be able to respond and also do so with others. 
So the intentional relationship is the context. God set up. He set up the church, and the church is, is specifically about the, the intentional relationships that we can have so that He can transform us. <clears throat> Let me close with a few questions for us to consider, and, th- and then we'll pray. Just like Paul, just like me 27 years ago, I, I had to have an encounter with Jesus. I had to trust Him and say, this relationship, you, you want this with me? Okay. Who I am is not enough. What I've done is not enough. Okay, I trust you. For some of us in this room, we might have to ask ourselves the question, do I know Jesus? Do I know Him? Do I have that relationship with Him? Have I been made a new creation? Or am I still a slave to sin? A slave to my own merit? For those of us that that we know we have this relationship with Jesus. We know He has been changing us. What has knowing Jesus changed in your life? And that's something for you to self to consider. What has He changed up until this point in your life as a believer in Christ with that relationship with Him? What has He changed? Because I, I think it's, it's so encouraging to us if we reflect on who we were before we knew Him and who we are now. For some of us, that's, that's more of a recent reflection, and for some of us, that goes back years. How has He changed us? Let that encourage you, because it, 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 I believe it builds our faith further to recognize that He's transforming us. And then here's the question, what still needs to be changed? I believe He will reveal some specific things to you. What still needs to be changed? And are you relying on the Holy Spirit for that transformation? It goes back to that trust conversation we had earlier. And then finally, are you in some kind of intentional relationship, a context that could be one-on-one. That could be a smaller group of people. Um, that could be maybe a medium size where you're in a Bible study context. Are you involved in, in a, an intentional relationship context where you know God can transform you through that fellowship with other people who, know, who also know Jesus? And Paul talked a lot about that. There, there's a lot about being close in proximity to other believers Paul talked a lot about that. That's the vehicle God uses within the church. So are you in an intentional context for change and, and growth? If you um, answered in a way where you're not sure that you know the Jesus we're talking about, you know Him in this way that He's actually transforming your life, please come talk to me Please talk to one of the other leaders you've seen up front or somebody that you do know. Please do that. I know for me, 27 years ago, it was a, it was a transformation moment and it has been continuing my entire life. I was a different person. 
one of the things we were going to talk in a few weeks about developing the hands. In a million years, 27 years ago, you said, Brian, you're going to stand up in front of people in any capacity. I would have said, you're crazy. No, never, ever. Um, I am not the most articulate in this context, but I, I, it's just a matter of God's changed me to the point where here I am. I, you know, th- this is what He's doing. So He changes us in ways that we're not expecting. Let me pray for us, and, and um, we'll, we'll go from there. But um, please, please do this. Begin to pray this week. If He hasn't already, even, even right now, if He hasn't revealed an area or several areas in your life that needs transformation, would you pray that He would do that over these coming weeks? Because if we get to the end of these ten weeks and we are exactly the same. We've not transformed in any capacity. I might suggest somehow the time's been wasted. But we've got to pray. We've got to seek Him. Because He's the one that changes everything. That makes sense? Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that, that You have pursued us. That You have loved us perfectly. That it is by the power of Your Spirit that You would change and transform us. Lord, we pray that You would reveal to each one of us how You want us to be changed. How You want to work in our lives. And Lord, that we would trust You. We would be open to what You're doing. We would take intentional steps towards You and towards this change. Lord, for for those that may not be sure that they know You in the way we're talking right now, in the way that transformed Paul. Reveal Yourself to them, Lord. Lord, thank You that this is not about our own merit and performance. That it is completely about You. Thank You, Jesus, for Your faithfulness to us in pursuing us. Help us to uh, be faithful in return and, and trust You well. In Jesus' name, Amen.